Resiliency Within with host Elaine Miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit traumaresourceinstitute.com. Welcome to Resiliency Within, featuring your host, Elaine Miller Karras. In unprecedented times, our beliefs and well being are put to the test. When we take the things we've learned in life and look at challenges in a whole new way, we learn to develop resiliency, which can then be used to promote healing and personal strength. Now, here is Elaine Miller Karras. Welcome to Resiliency Within. I am very excited about my show today because I have someone who, actually, when I first met him, I, I met, um, I'm going to call him uh, Dr. M, but his name is the Reverend Dr. Keith Mahenick. Um, but it's just easier, I think, for his students and for me to say um, Dr. M. But I first met him at um, a teacher training and of the community resiliency model. And what I can say about Keith is that um, there's a, a phrase in Spanish called um, la chispa de la vida, and it's the spark of life. And he he reminds me of a spark of life. He has this very effervescent way of talking about very important subjects that have to do with well-being and re- resilience and I think our our deep spirituality. And so uh, that's my my brief introduction, but I'm going to say more about him because I want to talk about what the show is going to be about today. And so during, um, during this next month, I'm going to be interviewing individuals from the LGBTQ plus community. I want to highlight the strength, resiliency, and positive contributions that members of the queer community have contributed to me personally and professionally, and how they contribute to our, our wider society. I welcome um, Dr. M, um, and he actually gave me the title of the show, which I love, and it's called Chasing Resilience in Queer Communities. He stated that you know many people in helping and caregiving professions um, see um, LGBT plus uh, um, people in terms of their trauma and the ways they've been hurt, excluded, rejected, harmed without the focus on resiliency. So queer folks and communities have immense gifts, blessings, resources, and wisdom to offer us all about how to build resilient lives and communities. So before we um, start talking, I want to tell you a little bit more about his accomplishments and what he does. So he's a visiting assistant professor of spiritual care and pastoral theology at Emory University's Candler School of Theology. He is a scholar of lived religion and practical theology with a focus on trauma resiliency and queer spirituality. His current book project engages social scientific research with LGBTQ plus folks who've experienced homelessness in order to examine the intersections of, of racialized trauma, resilience, and spiritual practice in queer communities. Among the many things um, that he's done, he's also a certified crim teacher which he's taught in the um, the Academy Church Clinic and Community. Prior to joining Candler, Keith worked as a managing editor of Practical Matters Journal, a pediatric hospital chaplain, children's home chaplain, progressive Baptist church minister, and high school English teacher. Oh my goodness, Keith, you've done a lot. He's an ordained minister with the Alliance of Baptists and and Cooperative Baptist Fellowship. And outside of work, 
He enjoys poetry, cartoons, and an active outdoors life. In fact, I know that just this weekend he was hiking some a beautiful place in Georgia. I imagine, I imagine, but I also am going to ask him to talk a little bit as we get as we start our interview about his um, class on crisis ministry and um, the kinds of things that he teaches and and the elements of what he thinks is important. So, Keith, welcome. <laughs> After that introduction, and te- you know what's on your mind as we're getting started today. Wow, thank you so much for the warm introduction. I'm grateful to be with you and uh, with the community. Um, what's on my mind today, actually, um, I guess are two things. Uh, you mentioned I love poetry. One of, one of just my practices in life is to read a poem every day. Just, it's a very easy, easy goal. And I was reading some Mary Oliver, and she has I this great I know. She has this great line where she says, sometimes I need only stand where I am to be blessed. So that's what I'm thinking about, just um, standing where I am and realizing that I'm already blessed. There's blessings all around me. I just got back from a weekend camping with my partner and friends. And being in the woods is just so healing for me on multiple levels. Uh, My name, Keith, actually has Scottish roots, meaning forest or woodland. Oh, I didn't know Um, that. Yeah. So for me, going into nature, into the woods, into the trees is also about, you know, connecting with myself, my name, um, kind of connecting with with stillness and myself and in nature. So, well, and that's, and, you know, that's one of my questions that I wanted to ask you is how do you cultivate your own well-being, your own resilience? you, I mean, sounds like going into nature is one of those things and reading poetry. And mm-hmm. I love Mary Oliver. Um, it, so are there other things that you do to, to build resilience in your life? Uh, yes. One, one of the things I've been doing lately, which has had such a great uh, impact on my, on my life and my ability to just touch peace every day is I've been starting my day with morning pages Uh, Just the writing practice where you get up, maybe you grab your coffee or tea and you just write uh, kind of brain dump, free associate and see what 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 comes out of it. Um, So that practice every morning of just writing, it feels like a meditation. It feels like a gift for just myself. I'm not producing anything anyone will see. It's not for anyone. It is just a moment for me to touch Uh, a bit of stillness and rest in my life. And those morning pages of journaling have just really revealed so much insight um, and so much meaning. And uh, so those moments of reflection, uh, what my mother uh, growing up in the church, what my mother would call uh, your daily quiet time. (laughs) Um, So I do a lot of praying in my journal, a lot of writing, a lot of poetry, um, a lot of just looking at the world around me and and writing down what I see. Um, and my favorite place to write is on my back porch, of course, underneath the big oak tree in the back. Oh so, my God, you have an oak tree. I love oak trees. We have them a lot. We have them in California as well. There, huh? I know they're there in Georgia too. But there's something about an oak because there's so much strength and. I don't know. There's some like the purposeful uh, purposefulness of nature to me is almost oh, yeah. emblematic of looking at that oak tree and its roots and how it just spreads out to the world, and also mm-hmm. what lands on it, right? <laughs> the beautiful birds <laughs> and also other stuff sometimes that maybe not so wanted, kind of like life, right? <laughs> it's going to be a yeah. little metaphor there. 
But, you know, the one of the things that I wanted to ask you too, you know, as, as I said, you know, you really do have a, a sparkle in you when you, you speak about things that you believe in. And one of the things that we were talking about a little bit before we got on the air is that I have been, uh, I've been dis- distressed of late of, of some of the divisiveness that's happened about, you know, not um, speaking, for example, children can't talk about if they have parents that um, are from the LGBTQAI um, community, they're not supposed to talk about it. I mean, there seems to be this um, separateness. And I think I felt that we were really building towards being more open and affirming as a nation. But um, even though I do feel that exists in many arenas, of course, I hope that happens here on my show, but I see that in some ways, some of the doors are closing. And we were talking about sometimes in the media, they're very focused on all the negative aspects, um, the trauma, as we, as your quote said in the beginning. And I know that we're very intentional and you're very intentional about not, not acknowledging that suffering. You know, you can say, oh yes, that does exist, but something also exists. I would love your perceptions on, on, on what I just said. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to start at the beginning, um, of my life, kind of growing up the son of a Southern Baptist minister, born and raised in Southern Baptist churches and worked as a minister in Southern Baptist churches until I came out as gay around 23, 24. So growing up Southern Baptist, uh, I was often taught to kind of diminish or hide certain parts of myself. Um, I grew up very rural in Hickory, North Carolina, so rural Baptist. And I remember it wasn't until I moved um, for work and for school to some bigger cities that I was even exposed to queer community and queer art, LGBTQ culture and history. And so when I think about like all of the, the progress we've made around LGBTQ visibility in the media, um, about uh, representation and law, all these things. Um, you know, the other side of that is like you said, there, there are also all these renewed attacks on queer and trans folks. Like this year has already, there've already been more anti-trans bills introduced in state legislatures this year than in any year in history. And what I, when I think about that, I think about, um, you know, censoring, Uh, our ability to even talk about LGBTQ history, for example, with children in schools, the violence of that is is really denying people, especially young people, uh, the blessing of a community and a history. And, you know, there's a way to respond to these kind of violences by just exposing them and by just resisting all of these kind of things. And that is good and needed work. But um, as we know, our activists burn out left and right. Yes. And so I, I think one of the ways that we can really respond to all these attacks on queer and trans life, whether it's through legislatures, through school systems, I think the way we respond to it is by remembering and reminding folks that queer people have a history. We have an ancestry and a culture and a rich, rich community, past and present. And um, we can really kind of lead with that. I think what was so healing to me in my journey was connecting with other people uh, who were able to just kind of help me 
helped me rethink about my place in the world and the goodness of my body, the goodness of just who I am. And so, you know, we can't just have depictions of LGBTQ people in terms of the ways we've been hurt or rejected, uh, the ways we've been harmed and traumatized. Because I think at, at one level, even when, when we're trying to do good, if we're only drawing it, our attention uh, to the ways that we've been hurt, I think we can kind of implicitly or unconsciously tell queer people that their trauma is kind of core to who they are, um, that that violence is core to who they are. And we see this reflected in suicide rates, homeless yes. rates. Yeah. I guess this kind of brings me to the, you know, when I'm hearing you speak, I'm, I'm, what's, what's coming in my head is what I often say on the show is that what else is true? What else is true? Yeah. And you're highlighting what else is true about, about you know, life, the history, the rich history, the, the, the generativity, the contribution to society. And I, I'm, I'm just wondering if you could say a little bit about some of those contributions that you think are very important to highlight, because I know that you are living proof of that. You know, when I'm thinking about you growing up in rural Georgia um, and, uh, and from your community and how there must have been challenges along the way as you recognized who you were in the world. And, and here you are teaching at one of the preeminent universities of our country, and you're teaching in theology. So I'm going, wow, talk about a story of resilience and well-being. That's one. So um, I'd love to hear more. Um, yes. Um, well, maybe I can give a story. Yes, uh, please. Um, I write about this in my doctoral work and my dissertation, and, and it will be in my upcoming book soon. But uh, I, I've, I've been going the past few years to, to local Trans Day of Remembrance services that happen uh, annually. Um, there's a couple communities here in Atlanta, Georgia, that gather together um, and have a big... Uh, interfaith service for Trans Day of Remembrance. And this was in 2021, so two years ago. I went and um, I walked into the sanctuary and this was led by several queer and trans local faith leaders. And there was a trans flag on the altar and a sign that said, Trans Day of Remembrance slash Resilience. Never forget that. Um, and what was so powerful about this service is some of the local ministers uh, here in Atlanta had taken the names and pictures of all the people who, all the trans people who were killed in the past year, and they printed their pictures out and they painted them into icons, uh, kind of using religious iconography and imagery. And then they put these, these paintings, you know, there's beautiful watercolor in the background of these, uh, of their faces. And they have little gold halos above their head. And they put these artworks of all these icons in the stained glass windows all around the sanctuary. And it was such a powerful moment to me to walk into a Christian sanctuary, a church, a faith community who was having an interfaith service. And when you look around in the sanctuary, this pace of safety and worship, what you see reflected back to you were all of these trans people 
painted as ancestors and spiritual teachers. And to me, that is what uh, community resilience is. That is what queer resilience is. Is it is looking at all the violence and trauma of our world without refusing to look away. It is looking at it and asking what else is true and realizing that the violence uh, cannot overtake all of who we are, that there is something good and beautiful and loving in us and in the world, and we can attend to that. Go ahead, please continue. I was just going to say for me with queer and trans folks, I think so much of that means um, reclaiming those who have died, um, who were killed as our ancestors, grafting them back into our religious and spiritual communities and drawing on them uh, for strength in our own lives. Well, and, you know, as you're talking, you know, I always feel a little bit nervous when I'm talking to a theologian, but I have to say from my simplicity of growing up in a Christian-based faith, um, you know, one of the things, the way that I was taught about Christianity as a child um, was that Jesus was so inclusive, that Jesus looked at people who other people scorned and he embraced them. And, you know, it's one of the, I don't, I don't remember many, many passages from the Bible, but one that I do remember is that he who has no sins cast the first stone, right? And I thought, oh, mm-hmm. well, that makes sense. Because to me, I look at the sins maybe as my own weaknesses that I have. And, you know, knowing that other people have them too, that always helped me. But, and I'm not saying that, saying that, that, that people, the people from the queer community are weak. I'm saying that in terms of Jesus's perspective of inclusivity, mm-hmm. and um, that was that's always been very important to me about mm-hmm. the teachings of of Jesus, because mm-hmm. I think there was a swerving from my learning of the Old Testament to the New Testament of having that very, really, what else is true of why mm-hmm. we want to have less divisiveness and more love in our life. Because to me, Jesus really what he taught us was about love. So there's my, my short, um, (laughs) very unsophisticated definition of, of Jesus and love and Christianity. I love that. I love that. And, you know, so much of theology in the past hundred years has really reclaimed attention to Jesus's life, not just his death and resurrection, but there's something revelatory about who God is by just paying attention to Jesus's life and this radical ethic of care and love and justice that Jesus embodied. Um, So, yeah, I think there's a lot to, to glean from the life of Jesus and not just the death and resurrection, but this life rooted in love and compassion um, and spending time with those that the rest of the world neglects or ignores or casts out, but seeing those people as your friends and your community, like this, this is the way of Jesus. Well, I'm, you know, I want to talk if it's okay, if we segue, well, it's actually interconnected, but you know, you, um, when, when I'm preparing for the show, I ask my guests to contribute to questions they'd like me to ask them. And you had a lot about the community resiliency model. And I'm just, and the community resiliency model and people who've listened to the show know this is something that I have been a key developer of, and it is a set of very simple um, wellness skills that are based on the neuroscience of our human body and how we're designed. And for me, the community resiliency model is the very essence of tapping in to, if 
people want to say their their God design of how we not only contribute to the wellness that you talked about in the beginning in the Mary Oliver poem that you read is that stillness and being in that present moment. Um, and even the practices that you talked about, whether it's reading poetry or um, or having times for reflection and writing, I think that's really inherent in many religions and, and spiritual practices around the world. Um, but with the community resiliency model, what I've seen is that, and I want to just start with this and then to hear what your perspectives are. When people tap into that sense of well-being in their own body and sense mm-hmm. it and really sense it deeply to their core, they often have more compassion for themselves, which I think is what really Jesus talked about was um, loving ourselves, loving others as we love ourselves, right? Um, um, but then we have more compassion to others in the world and that mm-hmm. there's a sacred moment that happens when we do something so simple. And we're designed to be that way. So anyway, that's what I'm going to say about the community resiliency model. And people who want to learn more about it can go to traumaresourceinstitute.com, which is our sponsor to learn more about what that is. But tell me about your perspectives. And I'm just going to give you free reign, whatever you want to talk about regarding this. Yeah, well, I, um, I'll talk about how I first encountered the community resiliency model. I was a part-time minister at a local Baptist, progressive Baptist congregation that was LGBTQ affirming. Um, it was actually the first, I, after I came out as gay, I, I left a non-affirming Baptist church and pretty much immediately was hired by uh, College Park Baptist in Greensboro, uh, which is very affirming and welcoming community. So I was working part-time there and full-time as a hospital chaplain. Uh, working mostly in pediatrics, uh, in the emergency, behavioral health, ICU, and hematology and oncology. And so much of my training and theological education was about helping people work through their beliefs, maybe beliefs that are limiting, like self-limiting beliefs about God or others and the self, Um, helping people uh, kind of create more deliberate theologies that connect them with love and with the goodness of life. Uh, but what I realized very quickly is that all of my training was just kind of from the top down. It was very talk-centered and talk-based. And so in my work as a, as a hospital chaplain, when so much of my tra- training is in dialogue and in conversation, uh, there was just a gap. I guess, in my education about how to respond to deep trauma, uh, for example, in the emergency department, when someone is super dysregulated and they can't have the conversation. And so I was exposed to CRIM by a group of nurses at Wake Forest Baptist Hospital, now Atrium Health in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Really? I've never heard this story at Wake Forest. Oh, my goodness. All right. There was a nurse practitioner who uh, taught CRIM around the hospital. And so I went to a training with a bunch of nurses and social workers and a couple chaplains. And I found the community resiliency model skills so immediately useful uh, to chaplaincy, to my ministry, uh, that I just started using it all the time and had to get trained in it. And now I see it as part of my vocation to help get these these community resiliency skills into the hands of our faith leaders and our communities. Well, and how have you seen that in terms of it being helpful is, you know, you uh, it, obviously you seem to have a passion about doing this mm-hmm. and why do you think it's so important? I mean, you talked about the simplicity, but what have you seen it in practice? 
do for yourself and for others? Yeah, I, um, a story is coming to mind right now. I did a crim training at a church here in Atlanta a few months ago, and the pastor had called me a little bit uh, about a week ago saying that they, they had, um, this is a church that also is a shelter, one of the churches in Atlanta that also has emergency shelter beds. So they had a person come to the church needing help and assistance and shelter. And uh, at, at some point while they were there, this person uh, became super activated in their body. Um, they were becoming violent with others and um, throwing over tables and doing all this. Uh, they were just really kind of, kind of out of their window, as we say in Krim. And this pastor had watched all these people try all these different interventions and then looked outside and noticed it was raining. And so they asked the person if they would step outside into the rain with them. It was just drizzling. And they stood outside in the rain and the pastor was like, can you feel the rain on your skin? Do you feel those like soft, wet kind of drips on your skin? And next thing you know, they just kind of started tracking it together (laughs) as they're getting a little bit more wet and wet. Um, But as we know, water can be very regulating for someone. And sensing sensing the rain on the body can be regulating. Yes. And so they did. They just kind of had this moment of being in the rain. Um, In my head as a theologian, I see imagery of like the waters of life and baptismal waters. Um, But those waters play a role in just settling the nervous system. And did he calm down? Did the young man come? Yes, he calmed down and they were able to just connect in a deeper way because no one had ever sat with him and helped him through um, those kind of moments and sat with him with compassion. And that's what this pastor was able to do by just having a little information about how stress and trauma impact the body and what some gentle invitational interventions can look like. That is one of the most beautiful stories I practically have ever heard. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, we're going to take a short break now, um, Dr. M. Mehenik, Dr. Keith Mehenik. I said it right, didn't I? I got it that yes. time. Um, <laughs> And when we come back, we will continue um, uh, with his reflections on how to use the community resiliency model in action. But I also, that is one of the most tender stories because if, because that violent, those, you know, those acts of violence, right? When they act that mm-hmm. way, it r- brings people away from them. And that mm-hmm. by just that simple invitation, like you said, gentle, that help them connect on a very deep level. Oh my goodness, that is a ma- marvelous story. So we will come back and hear more from 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 um, Dr. Reverend M um, as we come back from the break. Elaine miller Karras' book, Building Resiliency to Trauma, The Trauma and Community Resiliency Models, is available on Amazon.com. 
The book is about how to cultivate resiliency during and in the aftermath of traumatic experiences. The book also addresses body-based trauma interventions combined with psychoeducation about the biology of trauma and resiliency. Elaine also offers personal consultations. For more information, you can contact her at Elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Elaine Miller Karras co-founded the Trauma Resource Institute, Incorporated. The Institute provides trainings on the models Elaine developed, the Community Resiliency Model, or CRM, and the Trauma Resiliency Model, or TRM. If you would like more information about the Trauma Resource Institute or how to participate in trainings, visit the Institute's website at traumaresourceinstitute.com. That's traumaresourceinstitute.com. Trauma Resource Institute. Build resilience. Awaken hope. This is Resiliency Within with Elaine miller Karras. To reach the show during our live broadcast, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to elaine at resiliencywithin.com. Now, back to this week's show. Welcome back. I am here with um, Dr. Reverend Keith Mahenick from Emory University. Um, he um, teaches at the Candler School of Theology, and we've been having a lively conversation about his work and his reflections. Um, and so I'd love to continue. Uh, we, um, we just were finishing a story about the um, minister that contacted you about using the crim skills with someone who was having a very difficult time, and they were able to connect, and he was able to be heard and listened to in a way that sounded like it was novel to him. Do you want to say anything more about that? Um, yeah, I think just that so many of our faith leaders, um, have so much more to offer when we think more holistically about the body and the body as a resource for healing. Um, you know, I grew up in a tradition that sometimes would shame the body. Um, but what, what I've really leaned into in my adulthood is, a theology that really claims the goodness of the body. You know, Genesis 1 says God made creation and said, it is good, it is good. Seven times, it is good. And uh, one of the things I love about Krim is it also celebrates the body's goodness. There's goodness and there's resilience and resources in us. And yes, we need external help, but we also have what we need within us. Yeah. And so, you know, getting Krim into the hands of local pastors, faith leaders, chaplains, I think is really helping people see every single person they encounter in terms of fullness and resilience. Uh, it ties in the mind, body, and the spirit, doesn't it? I mean, I think that's one of the, um, I think, amazing and inspirational parts of bringing Krim into the world, um, like I've been very honored to do. Um, so, you know, this kind of leads into another question. You teach spiritual and pastoral care at Candler School of Theology. And can you talk about how you integrate the community resiliency model into graduate theological education? Mm-hmm. Um, and how do you use it in your teaching? Because, I mean, here you have this avenue to, um, you know, really impact young ma- minds about how they can minister in a fuller way 
to the congregations that they may have in the future. So I, I mm-hmm. love to hear about how you're doing that because I think there's one other thing I want to say too, um, reflecting back to my own training um, in Christianity as a child, I was really taught that you weren't supposed to really experience anything below the neck. You know, anything mm-hmm. below the neck was not something you're supposed to go to at all, but it had yeah. more to do with, I think, an aversion to our sexuality. Um, and so somehow then that got all put together that not to acknowledge the fullness and the well-being that's possible when we pay attention to what many would say are God-given um, capacity to regulate our nervous system. So anyway, mm-hmm. I just to say that little part because I imagine many of our audience who's listening may have had similar experiences to you and I. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, so um, at Candler School of Theology, I teach classes around, like you said, pastoral spiritual care. Um, I work with the chaplaincy concentration program there. um, And I also teach queer theology and some crisis and trauma work. Um, One of my favorite things I I teach is the crisis ministry course. And uh, in that course, we look at a variety of different interventions to crisis and trauma. Um, so we look at the community resiliency model. We look at a couple of different ones. Like one of the ones we look at is critical incident stress debriefing, which is what we used when I was a chaplain at the hospital. We often use that until I discovered CRIM and I started doing more CRIM body-based kind of resiliency focused work. Um, but what I love about what I get to do, uh, with, uh, in theological education you know, these are students who want to be chaplains or clergy or nonprofit leaders um, or, or who knows what will go into a variety of different places, but they will go as faith leaders. And so what I love about teaching um, in a school of theology is that we're not just studying impersonal, detached ideas, but we're studying things that are deeply, deeply personal and relevant to our lives. And so the opportunity opportunity is that everything we're studying, we're practicing. So as we're studying crisis ministry and intervention, we're practicing it with each other. So we're doing grounding rituals with each other in the classroom. Uh, when we're looking at CRIM, um, we're looking at how each of the skills of CRIM, like tracking, resourcing, and grounding can be culturally adaptable and culturally specific. So different religions have different Uh, spiritual practices around prayer, for example, um, and different postures around prayer. Uh, But what we know from a CRIM perspective is that the postures of prayer are grounded, uh, that they have a neurobiological function in addition to a psycho and spiritual function. And so for me, uh, what I love about the community resiliency model is it really helps me approach theological education holistically. How are we invested in our formation, not just uh, mentally thinking about our theological beliefs and doctrines, but also at the level of embodiment, how we body, embody our faith and practice it um, through spiritual practices, through creating networks of care and things like that. Um, so that's what I love about theological education is that we can explore deep ideas, but also practice them in ways that transform ultimately ourselves. Well, and I think that 
you know, for many people around the world, and I've traveled the world after many natural and human-made disasters, is the really the first line of support is often from the um, their spiritual practices. Mm-hmm. And I've seen this from, you know, Buddhist, Hindu, Christian, um, Muslim, all around the world. And so I think, gosh, if we equip those folks with additional resources, they have plenty already, but if they, you know, equip them with a, a, a few more, how might that actually help them? And you're reminding me at one of the CRIM teacher trainings in Atlanta, um, I think the last one I did in person, or maybe the next, the last one, there were a group of um, of ministers that were there that were ministering to the juvenile justice system in uh, and in Georgia and Atlanta. And um, one of them, um, he came to me, I think at the second or third day of the training. And he said, he said, Miss, Miss Elaine, and you know, in the South, they always call me Miss Elaine. I just love that. You know, they're so respectful. They, he said, Miss Elaine, I've been saying the Lord's prayer every day of my life since I can remember. And it has helped me as I've started my day. But I never paid attention to the sensations connected to the words of the Lord's Prayer until learning crim. Yes. That I had the most amazing experience ever since I first I started doing that just two days ago. And I feel the spirit and Jesus in me in a in even a deeper way than I thought was possible. And I thought, wow, I mean, I guess that's what you're saying, right? And I said, well, as you just even tell me that, what are you noticing inside? He had a big old smile on his face. But I, I think, you know, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? It's like, oh, yeah. we can do that in addition to, and those things that are resourceful to us and prayer, meditation is resourceful to many of us around the world. So- mm-hmm. So this gives me my the next question, which I'm really curious about your response to. Um, you've talked about the theology of crib. <laughs> well, that's a new one for me. All right, you've got to <laughs> tell me what that is and 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 help me understand what that means. The theology of crim. Yes, I'm, this is just uh, something I've been thinking a lot about, actually. Um, you know that in in crim we like to talk about how CRIM offers a perspective shift from this conventional approach that kind of sees people when they're suffering. It kind of of sees people as bad, um, in need of punishment. If you're suffering, you probably deserved it or you're not working hard enough or whatever. You didn't pray hard enough, you know. Not praying hard enough, yeah. And that approach really focuses on what's wrong with someone. Um, And I, you know, I... For a long time, I struggled with my own kind of theological beliefs because so much of my theology around sexuality uh, was rooted in fear and shame and guilt um, and seeing myself as wrong or bad in some sort of way. So I think about the shift to a resiliency-focused approach one that looks at someone and looks for what is right about someone. What are their strengths and gifts? How is this person a blessing to the world and the community? Um, That approach just has a different kind of theology operating in the background. Um, And so I think about, you know, there's a theologian who kind of in conversation with this doctrine and Christian history about original sin, that we're all born with sin. There's a theologian, Matthew Fox, who talks about original blessing, 
that if you read the Jewish and Christian scriptures, the beginning of Genesis does not, God doesn't create the world and say it is sinful. God says it is good. It is good. And so I think a, a, a resilience theology is about tapping into that original blessing, uh, that belovedness that we innately have, our belonging to each other, to the earth, and to God, realizing that we are made imago Dei in the image of God. That is very different than a theology that sees me just in terms of sin or lack or um, something wrong. You know, so theologically, we can we can reaffirm that there's something deeply wrong about us. And we can also theologically affirm that there is something deeply good and right about us, that we are made in the image of God, um, that our bodies actually are gifts of God, and that we can learn to understand the body and trust it and work with our bodies instead of against it. Um, so I think a, a resiliency-focused theology is really just looking at, at that original blessing and belovedness and just asking how is spirit, the spirit of love, the goodness of life, however you want to think about it, how is that still flowing through you and in you um, and in the world? Well, and, and I think as you're talking, I'm thinking about some of the things I've read about that comes from our the faith based some some faith based communities where people are really taught that they're bad that they're they're whatever is happening in their life what um that they're doing everything wrong or that you're sinful or that satan has taken over your your body or whatever that may be um and i certainly think that this has happened with the queer community in many um in many faiths so how do you help people um, that are from the LGBTQAI community? I know it's, it's it's getting longer every time. I'm glad it's LGBTQ plus because it's getting very long, right? <laughs> Which is. I think is also good because it's more inclusive. But at the same time, it's like hard to get into a sentence. But in, in any event, um, um, Keith, what would you say? What what can we do? What can we help with when, when there is that vitriol that ha- happens that, again, um, how we're also blessed. How do we shift and stay in another track and help young people who may be hearing this and maybe saying, I think I may be different than what they're talking about. Maybe it's this kind of the same questions that you were grappling with when you were a child and maybe didn't have a place to land. Ooh, yes. Big question. It is a big question. Um, I guess to anyone listening or anyone out there who, who is struggling um, to even know who they are, much less embrace who they are and who are looking and struggling to find community, um, there is community. There is family and friends. There is community for you out there. I think so much of our, the fear for queer and trans folks in self-disclosure and coming out is this very real fear of cutoff um, from family and from faith communities. And that, that is real. Um, but I'll say in my own life and as someone working with queer and trans people that, um, yes, there is often cut off. You know, I have some of that in my own life. But uh, the freedom and the connections and the, the love, the loving community that is available 
um, is so much more healing than, um, than those fears. Um, and I think what I want to say as a, as a theologian is that if we're, if we're struggling to kind of connect with goodness in ourself or in our faith tradition, um, I think the way to do that is through some sort of spiritual practice, um, through a practice that engages the body. And um, I think about spiritual practices very, very broadly, you know, a walk in the woods by yourself, um, sipping coffee on the patio in the morning meditatively, um, or doing what my mother would call your, your daily quiet time, reading the Bible, praying, all of these kind of spiritual practices, kind of what, what I know as a theologian and scholar is that these practices cultivate compassion. Um, as you mentioned a minute ago, spiritual practices cultivate compassion and they help us for just a moment, touch peace in our mind, body, spirit system. And they remind us that that peace and compassion are always available to us as resources. Yeah. And so I think, you know, you know, well, a misnomer about resilience actually is that resilience is about grit and willpower and determination. But what I love so much about uh, the definition through the Trauma Resource Institute and with CREM is that uh, resilience is about living with compassion in the present moment, that actually compassion is the kind of strength that can bear the weight of suffering in the world and connect us with goodness. Um, And I think we get in touch with that compassion and we cultivate it uh, through spiritual practices. Well, and I think the other part that I always like to mention too, because oftentimes people will say that, um, you know, resiliency is not paying attention to our vulnerability, to our suffering. It's just saying, oh, we can, you know, we can make it through or even using the expression, we can bounce back and, you know, bounce back to what if you've been suffering and you're bouncing back to, let's say, systemic racism or whatever that may be, that that's not something you want to go back to. Mm -hmm. But I think what I've seen is that it's really the acknowledgement of the suffering and maybe even leaning into it. And yet to say that's not the whole story is that I can also lean into my blessings and yes. just what you said about um, Reverend Fox and his work, I'm going ha- to have to read more from him. I think I would probably be friends. Um, yeah. Yes, that um, how important it is to, to really remember that. But I think the other thing that may be m- important to mention is that, you know, there may be young people listening to this or, or parents um, or anyone listening to the show and, and maybe feeling very alone. And so, are there ways, let's say that um, how they can, how you can make a connection? Um, let's say you feel like you're the only one living out in rural anywhere in in America or other places. How can you create that community when it can be dangerous in some areas to to say this is who I am? Mm-hmm. How can we create greater places of safety? And how where can they reach out? Oh yes. Um... Well, I think, you know, something I didn't have growing up that's a resource now is the internet. And there are so many online communities where you can gather, you can get help, get advice, uh, get mentorship, or just have friendship and community. Um, So there are so many just kind of online spiritual communities. Um, 
But then I also look back at kind of the ground of my childhood out in rural North Carolina. And uh, growing up, I, I thought I did not know any LGBTQ people. But now as an adult, you know, I see so many people that have since come out or now I recognize them as a part of the community in some way. Um, and so I have friends, uh, actually, actually one of my best friends is in, is, uh, up towards Banner Elk and the Appalachian mountains in North Carolina, uh, a place that, uh, is, is more or less pretty rural and conservative. And yet she has a robust queer community, uh, that has just kind of sprung up, um, by just kind of going to different events and festivals and just trying to find like-minded people. I think it, it really is hard when, when um, you're in a community that can feel so insulated. Um, in Southern Baptist rural life, you know, it really felt like my little community was the entire world. And it was hard for me to even imagine uh, other kinds of communities, other ways of relating. Um, and that was something I only was able to experience when I moved to a city. But I think there's a big gift in social media now and in the internet and just getting access to more information and more community. So online community is real. Online com- communities. I know that when I was um, a teacher of family medicine that I, I haven't been to it recently, but I mean, you probably know of it, but I would take my residents um, to the PFLAG website. Oh, parents yes. and families. Um, at that time, it was just pa- parents and families of gays and lesbians. I imagine that the name's gotten longer, but I thought <laughs> that was a, a wonderful resource because it was for mm-hmm. everyone. And it was for gotcha. parents who have a child that, that they didn't understand. They don't know yet. You could get information and support from other parents and families and mm-hmm. that there was a, an, an online um, community that people could connect to. And in that time, there were also local chapters that people could meet in person. And I imagine that probably would be the same um, now as well. So I, those kinds of, those are the kinds of organizations that you're talking about. Is, is that, is that true? Yes, definitely. Um, and, you know, more and more faith communities are becoming affirming and welcoming. So if, if you're interested in, in integrating sexuality, spirituality, and affirming ways with uh, affirming spiritual practice, there are more and more communities who are invested in that kind of work as well. And so, um, and so you, you know, you said that you had found a, a progressive Baptist community that was uh-huh. open and affirming. So I, I think that's probably just going on the internet and saying open and affirming congregations in Georgia or wherever you may live and see what's yeah. out there, Right. I know. That's what I did when I moved to Atlanta. <laughs> Is that what you did? Okay, so so it can be as simple as that in terms of starting your 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 friendship community to get the kind of support that we all need as we kind of journey through through life. So, um, okay, I have another question. That's yeah. that is, how has the community resiliency model affected you personally, or has it? I said I should say that first, and if you could share a little bit about that story with us. Oh, yes. I think um, as a scholar, writer, professor, and, and preacher, I can be in my head just so I love ideas. I love learning, um, but I can get in my head a lot. And um, what I have really learned over the years from CRIM, uh, specifically tracking, 
is I've learned just how much anxiety and stress I hold in the body um, that I'm just not in touch with. Um, and so that's kind of the first thing is, is just, you know, as I, as I get older, I realize all these different, different things that I've been through in life, I still carry with them, carry them with me in my body. Um, but I also carry, you know, as we say, I also carry resilience in the body. There are places in my body that are connected to goodness, to, to peace, to comfort. And so for me, it is just the gift of Krim has just brought more bodily awareness that I just didn't have. And that I still really deeply struggle to cultivate. Um, if you ask me at any point how I'm feeling or what I'm thinking, I can tell you my thoughts, I can tell you my emotions. But if you ask me about my body, I'm going to need a little bit of time uh, to think about it. Um, so, you know, if we think about we have different brains, like a head brain, a heart brain, and a body brain, Krim has really given me the gift of, of tapping into the body brain and the wisdom that the body has, uh, well, the body has. And with that, we only just have a couple minutes left. If people would like to get in contact with you, uh, Keith, about your work with uh, queer theology, I, I, the theology of Krim, my goodness, I didn't even know that existed. So you're teaching me something today. How yeah. would people get in touch with you? Uh, yes, on, on all the socials, uh, like Instagram, I'm Keith Amen. Uh, Keith Andrew Menhenek or Keith Amen. <laughs> That's an easy one. Keith Amen. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Keith Amen is my social handle. Um, or my email is first and last name, Keith Menhenek at gmail.com. And I'm just more than happy to be in conversation with, with anyone about any of these topics. Well, I, I thank you so much for the show today and for your reflections. Um, I, I would really like to have you come back in again and talk a little bit more about your, about your theology courses and the kinds of um, issues that you're bringing forward that's so important for all of us to know about. So I imagine we'll schedule that out in the future. And and I just want to say, Keith, um, it's just such a such a pleasure to know you. And I, your work to me is very inspiring and in how you're creating community, but also how you're, you're really spreading compassion and love in the world mm. um, with, you know, again, talking about your well-being and your resilience and, and shining a light on that um, in the que queer community. Mm -hmm. So this is, again, another example, what else is true in the world? And I think Keith is a perfect example of that. Any of you that are sitting out there going, gosh, I'm struggling. I don't have a community. How can I, how can I get one? I think we've just given you some avenues today of how you may start that um, for yourself and to remember that you're not alone. You know, as you mentioned, Keith, some folks sometimes think about ending their life when they feel that they're different and there's nobody there. Know that there are people there. There are people like Keith. He's given you ways to contact him and also just go on the internet. Um, there are places where you can get support and help and just for a moment, remember what else is true in your life. And I'm just thinking to me that the chispa de la vida of, of, of Keith Mahenik. And I'm so glad that I've met him and so glad that he's doing the work that he's doing in the world. Thank you so much, Keith. Until we Thanks. meet again. Thank you so much. Ah, we did it at the same time. All right. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> and this is Elaine Miller-Karras signing off for Resiliency Within on Voice America.
Thank you so much for joining us this week for Resiliency Within. Please tune in again next Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time for another edition featuring your host, Elaine miller Karras on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We'll talk again soon. Resiliency Within with host Elaine miller Karras is brought to you by Trauma Resource Institute Incorporated. Visit TraumaResourceInstitute.com.